Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for giving us another opportunity to sit in his presence and to hear his word. And I want to thank senior pastor and the leadership of the church for once again inviting me to share in the word of God. Uh, Shall we bow down our heads for prayer? Our most holy father, this is the time for your word ministration. You are the word of life, Jesus. The one that was broken for us. You are our advocate, our mediator, our healer. So Lord, we pray and invite you into our midst this evening. In your light do we see light. So we pray that you will enlighten us this evening. That by the time we live here, Lord, we will know you as you are. So that we will praise you as we ought to. This we pray and ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, our topic for meditation this evening is Jesus, our advocate. Jesus, our advocate. And we will look at some preliminary uh, issues. And then I will present... um, Jesus as an advocate from six perspectives. And then based on that, we will do some reflection. And then I hope that we will have time to enter into prayer as we engage this advocate to help us on our life's journey. So, chosen as my anchor text... Um, a passage from 1st John chapter 2 and I'll read verses 1 and 2 1st John chapter 2 and I'll read verses 1 and 2 it says my little children these things I write to you so that you may not sin And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. And it goes on in verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the whole world. Glory to God. I like the way John um, addresses his audience in this particular chapter. He addresses them as my little children. My little children. And I guess by addressing them as my little children, we could infer a certain level of care and affection. When you talk about my little children, Sofu comes and says, my little children, it, it establishes a certain level of relationship. 
And I believe that John, the beloved apostle of our Lord Jesus, was either addressing these ones as his children in the Lord, or that he being an elder in the church, was writing to the younger people in the faith and could therefore refer to them as my little children. Whatever the case may be, as I said earlier, we can infer a certain level of love, a certain level of concern or intimacy in these words. My little children. The Apostle John is concerned about the little children getting certain things right. And I would want us to look at the first four verses of the first chapter of First John. The first four verses, so First John 1, we're reading verses 1 to 4. And this is how he puts it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. John here establishes that the person he is talking about and the subject's of his discussion. It's not something that he had heard about, something mythical, something that he was not sure of. But he's talking about the word that existed from the beginning, but became manifested. Not only did it become manifested, but he, John, was privileged to have lived with this word made flesh in ordinary life situations. He had seen him. He had laid in his bosom. He had eaten with him. He had touched him. Even at the cross, he had said to him, Behold your mother, and mother, behold your son. It is this person that John had known so intimately that he was talking about. 
And indeed, in John 1, 14, he writes about this person, this incarnate person this way. He said, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten son of the father. Full of grace and truth. It is this personal relationship. This fellowship. That John had experienced with Jesus. That he is recommending to his little children. And therefore, hear what he says in verse 3 and verse 4. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, so that your joy may be full. I am bringing up these matters as preliminary issues because it is a matter of fact that communion with the Father, fellowship with the Father, is so essential, and indeed it is the reason why you and I were created and brought onto this earth. God desires above all to have fellowship with us. And John was reminding these people. And indeed he goes on to say that for one's joy to be full, you must have this relationship with God and the relationship with the brethren through the Holy Spirit. This is that which binds believers to one another, but more importantly, it binds them also to God. It is only by fellowship with Christ and the Father that one can know real joy. And John's desire, as I said, was to remind his friends, his little children, about maintaining this kind of fellowship so that their joy will always be full. But John knew something else. That this fellowship and the joy which can only be found in the Lord can be undermined when sin walks in. And he thus cautions that if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, sin disrupts this 
beautiful fellowship, this union that God desires to have with us, for which God created us. And you can take our mind back to the creation story when God would come in the evening to talk to Adam and Eve. And this continued until sin came in. And then he came looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I went to hide because I am naked. That is what sin does. And it is this matter of sin. This sin called sin which can cut us off from the Father that John is here drawing the attention of his little children to. And he says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, here, John is trying to preempt his little children that, look, sin would break the fellowship that you have. So, I'm writing all these things. You are good Christians. You have been obedient. But no, I'm writing these things to you so that you will be mindful of this canker called sin. That should sin enter this relationship of joy, this relationship which makes your joy full, will be broken. But he was also mindful that so long as we live in this part of our world, it is very difficult for one to say that I will never sin. So he says, I'm writing these things so that you will not sin. But if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. When we sin, we get in the wrong with the Father and we need help. Christ is our advocate. Christ is our helper in the sin, in the fight against sin. An advocate is simply in today's parlance, in everyday language, who will refer to as lawyer. Eh? Counsel. So we, 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 we lawyers would usually refer to each other as counsel. You know, your, your advisor. One who pleads for you. So he's a lawyer. He's an attorney, if you like, if you like the American way. His counsel. He's also a helper. And it's interesting because the same word, helper, is the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, the paracletus. So an advocate is a helper. He comes in to help you. He comes in to plead your case. He comes in to put your case across as best as can be presented so that you will be acquitted. An advocate 
has to make a plea, and in so doing, he has to establish the ground or basis for his plea. So, we now would want to look at Jesus, our advocate, from uh, this evening I'm presenting six perspectives from which we can see Jesus as an advocate. So, Jesus is described as Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Christ went to the cross to suffer on our behalf. The just for the unjust. In First Peter three eight, in First Peter three eighteen, we read First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. He was righteous from the beginning to the end. He was the righteous one. We also read in First, first Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So we see Christ being the righteous one. The one who knew no sin but bore our sins in his own body on the cross physically. He had to go through that. And we are told that by whose stripes you were healed. It is instructive and it is indeed in our interest to note that Christ is called the righteous. In the verse that we are looking at. And not the merciful. God forgives in a manner that accords with justice. So yes, he is the righteous one. God looks at him. He pleads on our behalf and obtains justice for us. But it is not to say that God then glosses over. No. He pays the full penalty. So God forgives in a manner that accords with justice. Once there has been a sin Justice demands that one should die. And God forgives through Jesus Christ. He lived as man, but was without sin. He could thus speak to the Father to forgive our sins. Hallelujah. Christ is not only the righteous, but the second point to note is that he is the propitiation for our sin. Christ 
is the propitiation for our sins. If you look at the uh, uh, NLT, it says, He is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. In other words, He was sacrificed. He Himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. He became that which was offered on the cross. In other words, that which removes the guilt of our sins. Indeed, there is a divine wrath against every form of sin. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So once there is unrighteousness, once there is suppression of truth, once there is sin, the righteousness and the wrath of God will show. But Christ became the propitiation, the object of atonement for our sins. Sin will not go unpunished unless it is atoned for. We thus read from Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Christ paid the price. For he himself said, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, he says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That was in instituting the new covenant. He talked about the blood. He said, this is my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We, he has thus atoned for every sin of ours. We just need to reach out to him and appropriate this. He's, he is the propitiation. He is the object of atonement of our sins. If we are to enjoy our fellowship with each other and with the Lord, and if we are to maintain our joy and intimacy with the Lord and with each other, then we must necessarily apply freely this atoning blood of Christ. Our mediator is our propitiation. So as our advocate, Jesus, comes to the Father, to plead on our behalf. Not only does he plead, but he also points to the blood. Father, look at it. So, it's like, That is all that he has to say. He is the righteous one. Our advocate is the righteous one. But in making his plea with the Father, all he needs to do 
is to also point to the blood. The blood of atonement. What an advocate. What a savior. The evidence is there. As the lawyers will say, the matter speaks for itself. Rest ipsa locuto, as we say. The matter speaks for itself. So our advocate comes and he just points to that. Glory to Jesus. But this advocate, the third point that I want us to consider, this advocate is also merciful and faithful. This advocate of ours is also merciful and faithful. Because he was once like us and suffered and was tempted, he is able to assist us in our temptations. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So we see the propitiation still comes in. He is he was made in all things like us, in our weakness, in our imperfection. So, he's merciful, he's faithful, and in all things. And that for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So, I told you right from the beginning, John was mindful of the fatal blow that, you know, sin can, you know, deal to us. And he knows our frailty. But this father, this advocate of ours, this merciful and faithful advocate of ours comes in. And because he knows our frailty, because he understands us, you know, he is able to what? He is merciful towards us. And he is also faithful towards us. He understands our frailties. He is also sympathetic of our weakness. And calls us to boldly come to him in confession for grace and mercy. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16. says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, this verse that we just read, you know, it's very close to the one that we read earlier. But there's something that I want to draw our attention to in this particular verse. The devil is a liar. And oftentimes, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, those things that we call besetting sin, you know, again and again, it, it, it comes. And, and you falter. And you are down. And the accuser of the brethren comes, you know, whipping you. Oh, you can't do it. Oh, you are a sinner. Oh, you can't. And because of that, he weakens you so much that 
You don't even want to go to the Father and say, Lord, forgive. You don't even want to go to the Father and say, Lord, forgive. But here, he says, because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, he urges us that let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And there are a few things that, again, I want us to look at there. Grace is that unmerited favor. So, as you come to the Father and you confess your sins and you ask for His, his help, it is not because you deserve it. But that unmerited favor, the love that the Father has for you, oozes out from His heart to Him. And not only that, but it also strengthens you so that those things that you could not do otherwise, he now gives you the strength. That is grace. The ability to do what you could not on your own do. And indeed, all of us, it's not as if there is any of us that can say that he's champion. It is the grace. It is the grace. It is the grace. That is why Paul could look at his life and say that, but for grace, because he was the, of the people who were persecuting the church, he was the chief amongst them. But the grace of God located him. The grace of God that was upon, upon him was so great that as he said, he was able to also toil more than all the people who were ahead of him. You and I need that grace of God. The unmerited favor. That strength that enables us to fight on. And our advocate, Jesus Christ, is willing to grant us that. The fifth thing that I want, to, I want us to look at is that this great advocate is always ready in time of need. He is always on time. I know all of us, we have issues and there are issues that probably you have prayed, you have fasted. And it appears that the answer is just not coming. But Jesus' time is the appointed time. I, when I was in the bank, we had this Nigerian uh, director who said, No board meeting starts late. If the meeting is advertised to start at 10, when the chairman sits, it is 10 o'clock. So for him, there is nothing like the meeting started late. There is nothing like we are late. Oh, when Christ comes, that is your time. And we know the story of Lazarus. That story, when I read it, it breaks my heart. It's the story about two ladies. Their father is gone. And in the, in the Hebrew culture, you know, it's, it's, it, everything runs through the male line. So their last caro was their brother. And this brother is ill. And they know that the, the Savior loves this man. And they say, he whom you love is ill. Listen to the message. Who did? The one that you love is ill. He's coming. 
Once he hears that, the one that he loves is ill, he'll come. He's coming. Day one, no, no shoe. Day two, no shoe. Day three, no shoe. Hey! When you talk, the brother dies. Of course, they had heard that this man, he had raised the dead before. So I'm sure these ladies, hey, nobody should touch the body. Nobody should touch the body. And maybe one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. Then the, 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 the body started, you know, so now, you, you women, two known women, yes, you know, so, and in the, the brother is dead, you see. So, I'm sure they lambasted them well, well, before they went and buried this, their brother. Then three days, their man shows his face. Oh, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as Martha spoke those words, I can feel how searing it was in his heart, in her heart. But although he may be three days late, he's always on time. It doesn't matter what it is that has worried you. Maybe God wants to give you a big testimony, like the testimony of Lazarus. So this advocate of ours is always on time. He is never too late. He loves you too much to play hide and seek with you. He is always on time. And he will come through. Just reach out to him. The last point that I want us to ponder over this evening is that our advocate is also a mediator. Our advocate is also a mediator. In First Timothy um, 2.5, we read First Timothy 2.5, that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. I don't know your state. I don't know how far from God you are. But the advocate, Jesus Christ, is a mediator. He is the bridge. It is he who can bring us back to the Father. No matter how far you have gone, no matter how, I mean, the, the sins that you have committed, this advocate of ours is a mediator. And he's the only mediator, the only person that can mediate between God and man. And he's the one who comes in to restore us back into fellowship with the Father. He's the only one who comes and restores us back to fullness of joy, which is what John was concerned about. This evening, I want us to ponder over these six aspects, these six perspectives from which I have presented to you Jesus, as an advocate, is our righteousness. He is also our propitiation. The atonement that was sacrificed. He is merciful and faithful. Jesus is sympathetic to our weakness and calls us to boldly step out to him. 
Jesus is always ready and in time of our need. He is always ready and in time to step in to help us. And Jesus is our mediator, the only mediator between God and man. I would want us to spend a little time, maybe five or so minutes, as we enter into prayer. God desires that we have fellowship with him and that our fellowship with him will be sweet. That our fellowship with him will be meaningful. Maybe you've been sensing a sense of dryness in your relationship with God. Our mediator is here to put in a word for you. Maybe there's something that you've been struggling and you feel ashamed about. You feel burdened about. You can't even talk to somebody about it. Our advocate is merciful and faithful. He's, our advocate is sympathetic to our weakness and calls us to boldly step out to him. Is there anything that has delayed? What is it that you've been waiting for, that you've cried unto him? He's always on time. And Jesus is our mediator. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what need.
tonight to the Lord. Christ is our advocate. Christ wants us to enjoy sweet fellowship with the Father. Sin is a canker. Sin draws us away from the Father. But from the beginning of creation, oh yes, Christ put God put his salvation plan. And that plan was revealed in Jesus. He is our advocate. Christ, our righteousness. Christ, our propitiation. Christ, the merciful and faithful. Christ, the one who understands and will not condemn. Who knows our weaknesses. Christ, who is always on time. Christ, our advocate superior, who is the mediator. Talk to him this evening. Talk to him this evening. Talk to him this evening. Just cry on him. Call him to intervene on your behalf. We do not know how to pray. But as we come to him, he's waiting to present our case on our behalf. As he points to the blood, the atoning blood that he shed for us on Calvary. Oh yes. The blood that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Christ is our atoning blood. Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is the one who presents our case. He's our advocate. He came from the Father. He seeks our relationship in everyday things, just as John experienced him. Christ is interested in our going out and our coming in. He's not only interested in our walk with him. He's also interested in your married life. He's interested in the way you raise your children. Are you looking for a job? Christ is interested in that. He knows our weakness. He knows our frailties. Because he suffered and was tempted, he's able to bear with our weaknesses. Oh, let us reach out to him. May his grace reach us this evening. May we stretch forth our hand, our weak hands, our weak limbs to God. He will strengthen us.
the unjust. Thank you, Jesus, that because you suffered and you were tempted whilst on this earth, you were able to bear with us in our weakness. Our prayer is the Lord, we will always look up to you. And the smile and the encouragement on your face, Lord, will strengthen us so that we will come to you in boldness to appropriate your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, our mediator. Thank you, Jesus, the one who is always on time for us. We pray, the Lord, this evening, whoever has presented to you his petitions, his pleas, his or her cries, Lord, Lord, answer. Lord, step in. In your peace which passes all understanding, Lord, guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. And may we know this joy of fellowship with you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, Amen.